What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Earn Your Good Day podcast, where we have a fundamental belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more capable of things than they believe in or are even told are possible. I'm your host, Zach Kanadi. Now, today's episode is going to be episode two of Chats with Zach. I got my main man, my day one, my artist boy. He even designed my own fitness brand logo, Murph Orton. We're going to be chatting up with him. Guys, when I say like day one, I literally mean like well over 10 years we've been friends. We've been through the shits. Cheers to that, brother. Cheers to that. We're also drinking some damn good whiskey tonight. Hey, man, local so, brands. That's what's up. Dude, you know what we're doing. I'm out here visiting him. Uh, Murph lives in Denver, Colorado. I'll let, I'm not going to spoil too much because, you know, it is his story. It's his life. I'm going to let him tell it. But dude moved out here about a year ago. I helped him move out here. Um, man's been making moves on his career, his goal, his life. But yeah, we started all the way back in elementary school, middle school, really became friends playing baseball. Uh, I'm sure there's a story we'll get into, but we were taking a baseball trip out to Wisconsin Dells. We were freestyling with rap chats in the back of the bus. Uh, it just like a grand old time, man. But Murph, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself to the people. Tell them who you are, what you love, what you're all about. Oh, Let's get this thing popping. Man, Zach, Excuse me. well... Just to let y'all know, I know this man is naughty, alright, so like, he is not Zach to me, I know all y'all know him as Zach, but he will always be my naughty, um, <laughs> wow, yeah, we starting this off right, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so my name's uh, Murph Horton, I'm a graphic designer, I'm a visual artist, um, I've worked freelance for four years. Uh, you know, uh, I do a little bit of everything. Uh, kind of my motto is like, if you got art needs, you know, if I can't do it for you, I damn well know someone that can, bro, and I can put you in contact. So that's true. The man draws. He does digital collage. He paints. Uh, spray paint is a big thing he's been coming up with. Oh yeah, bro. And Murph, like, you just got like a a first big boy job as kind of a professional artist. Tell him a little bit about. Oh. How yeah, that's been going. Well, I mean, I guess technically it's my second big board job. Okay. Okay, that's true. J- just so you know. So, um, I moved out here, uh, and after living out here for about, oh, I don't know, six, seven months, um, I landed my first professional career as a graphic designer. Um, and for me, I'll get into, like, the details of this and really kind of my story, but, like, um, basically, this is a big step for me. Like, I'm a college dropout. I don't have a degree, right? So... Um, you know, this ain't something that I expected or that I wanted. It's something that I worked towards and it took a long time. Like this ain't something that like, you know, I just, you know, it happened to fall into my lap. Like I worked for it. I I worked on my craft. I worked on my art. I worked on my connections and I was able to secure it. Um, due to unfortunate situations, I ended up leaving that position. Um, and I gained another position working as a production artist, um, for a up and coming startup tech company out here. Um, and doing some really great work. Um, basically, to put it simply for everyone and not get into too many of the details, I build interactive maps for retail properties. So um, if you go and look at an apartment online... And Which I was doing today, secured one for Indianapolis. Right. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so if you go online, right, uh, and you, you know, you can take a virtual tour or whatever, uh, odds are pretty good it's my company, and it might even be a map that's made by me. So, um, yeah, I mean, really cool, really exciting, really just, like... I think um, the coolest thing about that job is, you know, there's, like, uh, it's real-world application. You know, like, you can see your work. I think that's, like, you've kind of talked about this, but, like, art's one of those cool things. Like, it's literally everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're chilling in your room, and you got a couch in here, and that, this quilt behind you is, you know, I would consider it an art piece because it's got a design on it, the couch fabric itself, you know... Right. And um, it's it's all literally stuff you create. But before we get too far, where can people find you if they want to like see more about what you're about, um, some of your work, you know, if I know you have an online store. Oh yeah. So where can they find all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, so um on Instagram, that's the main social media that I use that I'm most active on that, you know, if you message me through that, I will definitely respond. Um, hopefully not, you know, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, I'm a busy boy though, I'm always running around doing stuff. Um, but basically, basically, uh, so it's Murph dot underscore D do not forget the underscore. Um, and then Murph Orton on there. Um, also you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn under Murph Orton strictly. Um, and on my Instagram, there's a link to my portfolio, which then has links to my shops. I sell on Etsy and society six. Um, so please go check them out. If you like what you see, um, you know, you can either hit me up independently through a DM or a direct message, um, or you can just place an order right through those websites. Um, it's really up to you. Uh, if you're local based to Denver or to Minneapolis, please, I encourage you to hit me up personally. Um, and I will hand deliver the art to you. Um, because that's the type of dude I am like, yeah, no, like guys, for real, this guy is it. When you talk about like hometown pride or town pride, I really think there's few people in the world that embody this as much as Murph does. Like, dude, I remember, like, especially, like, we were in high school, dude, like, playing sports. And, you know, there's always, like, like the sports pride. But then we graduated high school, and you moved to Minneapolis, and it was, like, everything was, like, Minneapolis, right? Like, all the things you're talking about, like, all the people you're meeting. Like, especially in high school, you and, like, our buddy Jordan... Soroxis were big in like the underground rap scene, up and coming rappers, mm-hmm. and it was all, like Minneapolis, Minnesota-based rappers, and dude, like right. you were going hard in that. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, question for you: like, what is, like, why why do you go so hard in like like the hometown pride or the town oh, pride? The town pride. Um. Well, Minneapolis is my home, and um. I mean, I think to an extent, everyone feels that way about their home, right? Um. You know, even if their home experience wasn't great or they're not a huge fan of it, like, there's a feeling when you go back there, especially with me living out here for a year. I've really kind of realized that. Um, Going home is special now, right? It's a treat. Um, I don't take vacations. I don't go to exotic places. I don't go... I go home now. Um, That's my (laughs) vacation, right? And I know that sounds lame, but, like, I'm planning, you know, I'm planning a little something to just, you know, go home and just sit by the river, have a bonfire, have a case of beer or two, and just... Um, relax, have a, you know, cook some good food. Like, for me, that's where I get Dude, the joy. Dude, that steak at. that we had earlier, though. Oh, oh. Um, talking about some good food. Talking about good food, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that that for me is just it. I mean, the big thing for Minneapolis for me is that, um, like, I love everything about that city. Um, aside from it being my home, and specifically, I love West Bank. I don't know if y'all, if any of y'all are local to Minneapolis or if you 
um, if you've ever visited. But I highly recommend you go to West Bank. You hit up Palmer's. You hit up uh, Bullwinkle's. Uh, these small time or the Arcadia too, like these small time bars and shops, bro. Like there's great people, there's great energy down there, and like I love everyone there. Um, and like Franklin Ave was my home for four years before I moved out to Denver, and like I mean that's for me, I absolutely love that area. Like there's nothing better, right? Like I'm <laughs> yeah, dude. You have some serious love for Franklin Ave and just like the whole like like Little Earth, uh, the co-op right by your house. I mean, I mean, you know, like trap house that you were living in for a while. Well, and the thing is, like, to me, you can uh, specifically about that area. You might hear a lot, you know, with Southside Minneapolis or whatever. You might hear a lot of things, but like, I have never been more welcomed into a community. I've never been more accepted into a community. I have never had community members look out the way they look out for their for the others in that you know off Franklin. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. Like, um, and they're just. It's a wonderful community with wonderful people, and I think there's times that it often gets sometimes a bad um, a bad look or a bad rep. But like, if you know, if you're ever scared about going down Franklin, you shouldn't be because it's great people, great culture, great food. Yeah, that's like the the awesome thing though about like actually going out and experiencing the world. It, when you go like you hear places or like you hear what the media tells you about a certain place, Franklin specific. Cause I remember when like you first went down there, dude. I'm like, I'm gonna be honest, like I was kind of sketched out. Yeah, Just bro. Because like you know, you and I like grew up in the burbs. Like yeah, we were five, ten minutes from downtown. Like we're still, we're still like, right outside Minneapolis. Like we weren't in the city. Like, and it was still like, oh yeah, like this part of Minneapolis is rough. Or like, this side of, uh, you know, Bloomington is rough. Or like you know, Franklin. There's like a lot of like crime and drugs. And, like. Sure, like, like maybe there was, but at the same time, like, I think it just goes to show that when you really get to know, like, people, you know, I think at the end of the day, like, and we've kind of seemed, like, lost this last couple of years, at least I've noticed, like, when you really get to know, like, people for who they are, so many people, no matter where you are, no matter, like, how, quote-unquote, rough it supposedly is, my experience has been like the people who actually live there, when you actually get to know them and give them a chance, there's almost always great people. Yeah. You know? Um, and like, the thing that's important to remember is that, like, specifically with Franklin Ave, right? The media highlights the things that are going to benefit them the best, right? So the things that are going to get click views. So, of course, they're going to report on robberies, drugs, shootings, all that shit, right? But like, on a day to day basis, like, I've seen some wild shit on Franklin Ave. <laughs> but never in my life have I ever stories bro me. yeah bro I oh see some wild shit but like none of at no point during any of those stories did I feel like I was you know immediate danger I, possibly aside from the Taco Bell getting robbed but even then bro I mean Buddy Ass was robbing the store for $75 like let's be real here bro he didn't give a fuck about me you know what I'm saying like like you gonna rob a Taco Bell on Franklin bro you gonna rob the Taco Bell that gotta buzz you in because motherfuckers ODing bro nah like, <laughs> like, like, pick a different Taco Bell, bro. But like, for like $75, is it really worth $75? It ain't, bro. I mean, like, here, like, like, to be real with you, like, here's the way I think about that and decompress that situation. This man robbed a store for $75, right? Okay. Four years in prison. That's what you get, bro. 
for armed robbery. Seventy-five dollars. Right. That's like all right. Let's let's do it. Ass- assuming you that's got like a- that's not even twenty dollars a year. Right. You're robbing twenty less. You're robbing like nineteen dollars for a year in prison. And well, well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's like less. It's like a dollar twenty-five right. a month. So, but here's the point why I don't feel threatened by that situation, right? And I can look back on it with like, oh, that's some wild shit, and like that's a cool experience. Mm-hmm. It's simply because like, if you're willing to take a risk for that much for $75 and you are that desperate, you do not give a fuck about me who is waiting for their food standing there. That's true. You, right? Because like, yeah. Because you not that desperate, bro. Like, you that desperate and like, but you ain't worried about me, right? Like, because with robbing me takes on a whole nother level of precedent. So like, you know, um, plus I feel like they're just hoping to get like cash from the drawer. Like, they're not yeah. trying to have any difficulty of like fighting a person. Right. Um, they're just trying to like, you know, get some quick money, like easy come up. Nobody knows who they are, like getting, get out type of deal. Right. And you know, uh, you know, the only thing that really sketched me out was the cop that ran in with the shotgun low key. And he's like, where'd he go? And I was like, I don't know. He ran out the back, bro. Like, I know you started here, but like, yeah, everybody in the store telling you that he ran out the back and you still standing here, bro. Like, go. Like, no, I don't know why you're standing here, bro. Like, like it's time you, for you to do your job, boss. Yeah, like, it's time for you to do what you came here to do. Why, why are you looking at me like I'm looking stupid, bro? You looking stupid. Like, Go chase the man. Uh, uh, yeah. Dude, that, that's kind of wild. So, you and I have been friends for, like, a super long time. Like, it, like... I've kind of talked about this. Like, I don't, I'm not a huge trustee, but, like, if there's one person, like, I legit trust probably more than anybody, like, you would be one of the top people. No, I appreciate that, bro. I really like, do. Like, for real, like, especially when we were up in the, that, that Duluth trip, like, just keeping me straight, keeping the whole situation straight. Yeah, um, That was just, like, a rough situation. But I think, like, the reason, I think there's a couple reasons. One, like, you and I have just, like, been through it together. But two, I think your life has kind of forced you to be able to like handle those tough situations because it was either like in those certain times like in your own life like you've had situations it was like it was it was sink or swim Mm -hmm. quite literally um and dude to be honest like really like the whole reason i wanted to bring you on the podcast was because i think your story is amazing um and like the reason i think it's amazing is because i don't think you quite realize like you're like dude you're super humble and well, thank you. You're stroking my ego like a motherfucker right now. You but. know, it's like, <laughs> I'm a podcast host. Like this is what we're supposed to do. Like I watch enough of them. Like they just kind of like stroke them up. That sounded wrong. It <laughs> 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 kind of just pump up the ego a little bit, make the person look good. So, but at the same time, dude, like it's it's true. Mm, like yeah. because, dude, like like. And simply, like, your art from when you first started in high school to what it is now yeah. is, I think most people say, like, leaps and bounds. I'm going to say, like, light years ahead. I would agree with that statement. 100%. And for the simple fact, only like, you're, like, 90% self-taught. Like, because, like, you went to school for, like, a year and got some, like, training. But most of it was you going out on your own outside of school and, like, just putting in the work. Yeah. Um, but dude like you've seriously like come from and I'd like you to explain a little bit about this yeah but like you've come from kind of like a real growing up you know like most people say like pretty decent 
but you had like a real shit hit the fan period of your life and now I'm like dude you have a big boy job like you got benefits you have your own place you like you moved literally halfway across the country and not knowing anybody out here like let's be honest dude that takes balls and that takes Mm. courage like how did you go from how did you get that right like Mm. what what's the story that got you to that um yeah so i mean as you mentioned um yeah my childhood was pretty decent um you know uh and i don't want to put you on blast too much for this but um for those of you that don't know me and Zach were both raised by single mothers. So, like, yeah. um, the point of the matter is, like... Shout out Mama Chris. Shout Mama. out Mama Chris. Shout out Mama Orton. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, there's certain trials and tribulations that come with that. There's certain stresses that uh, come with that. Um, but at the end of the day, basically what happened was, so at 18 years old, my mom kicked me out of my house. Um, and the best way I've been able to put it to people is, like, and I firmly do believe this is true for everyone, but everyone hits it at a different point in their life. For me, it happened to be 18 years old. Life is going to hit you like a bus, and it's going to put you on your ass. And unless you're willing to get up and move out the way, it's going to keep putting you on your fucking ass. <laughs> and like, but that's the truth. Like, uh, um, that's, that's seriously facts. Yeah. Bro, like. So um, to get to dive into the story a little deeper, like the point of the matter is, I got kicked out of my house with 200 bucks to my name, and I had nowhere to sleep. Um, and I was lucky enough and fortunate enough, um, to, uh, take care of myself and, you know, uh, at least, you know, stay alive for a few days and then at least shack up with the homie and have a place to stay and, um, you know, utilize my resources. And, you know, then I was homeless for about four months, just bouncing around from house to house, most of my homie's crib and my family's house. But, um, before I went to college and, um, I mean, that's. That was a period of my life that was very dark, very unstructured, very not um, centered. Um, and I got to college, and that was a big distraction. Um, and I really enjoyed my college classes. However, given my particular situation, um, you know, I couldn't continue college due to financial reasons. And um, as much as I enjoyed, I mean, I enjoyed my professors, I enjoyed the classes, I enjoyed everything about college, right? Yeah, um, you like we would talk because you're going to um, Augsburg, and I was down in Iowa, but you know, like. Mm-hmm three, three and a half hours apart. And in high school, you were not like a typical like academic student. Like you really did not vibe with how school oh. was taught at all. Senior year, bro, I barely showed up. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, there was a lot of shit going on in my life, but I barely showed up. Yeah. Um, but like you got to college and it's like, like you could literally hear in your voice that like the actual enjoyment, uh, you know, and, like, that you really, truly did like your professors and it was something, like, you were enjoying. And I think that was because, like, you kind of started to take on your own as, like, a uh, an artist, you know, and this mm-hmm. was, like, you were really taking steps forward to that. Yeah. Um. So to give a little backstory, and you know, I, I probably should have started with this. Sorry, this is my first professional interview for y'all. So, like, I am not equipped to do this as well as I should be. Um, uh, you're doing great, dude. You're doing great. I appreciate that. I appreciate That's what that. we're here for. Um... Anyway, so, uh, in high school, as Nadi knows very well, um, I, uh, you know, I started drawing, getting more serious about it, getting interested, um, and then during the high school scene, and then, um, the three months, uh, after I first became homeless, like, 
I spent a lot of time in the underground hip hop scene. Uh, I have a good homie by the name of Sir Roxas. You should check him out on SoundCloud. You should check him out on Instagram. You should check him out on everything, bro. That man makes wonderful music. It's very diverse. It's very all over the place. He's constantly experimenting and like, honestly, like it's all fucking quality. Um, and he's gonna appreciate that shout out. Oh, I'm sure he will. Because um, <laughs> he listens, dude. Oh, okay, that's what's up. He does. Um, and uh, yeah, so. Um, you know, you should definitely check them out, but, like, uh, it's funny, because that situation was just crazy to me, um, in a lot of respects, because here I am, staying in this house with four of my closest homies, and all we're doing, like, aside from going to jobs and making money so that we can pay this woman rent to stay in her fucking house, um, by the way, dirty-ass house, plywood on the fucking living room floor, like, you know, your socks got ruined in that house, bro, you had to wear shoes, no cap, like, um, shoes never came off. Bro, shoes never came off, bro, because there were nails in the plywood that would rip your socks, bro, so you couldn't wear socks in that house, bro. No. Um, not to mention the entire time I lived there, it had no AC, so, like, you went to bed sweating, you woke up sweating. It was a great, it was a great situation. Yeah, um, I love those summers. Um, but, yeah, so, with all that being said, I kind of made a decision um, that when I was going to go to college, I was going to pursue art. Um, and when I got there, as I'd been doing art in high school, I never took it seriously. I was kind of just known as the dude that skateboarded and drew shit in his notebook. Um, and once I got to college, I made the decision. I was like, I was like, I'm studying graphic design. Let me just fall into that fully and become a full time, you know, a full time artist. And that's what I am. Um, but it's interesting because you can make that decision and tell yourself that's what you want to be, and even walk around and self identify as that. But you don't really see that as a full, you don't see the fruits of that labor or you don't really see that full, you don't accept it, I shouldn't even say, you don't fully accept it until you get to a point where, um, you know, you can actually see the fruits of your labor. Um, Part of that is because like you had to prove to yourself like you actually were being an artist, not just talk, like you were walking the walk, not just talking the talk. No, and that's, that's big facts because, um... You know, it's one of those things where it's like, I can I can tell everybody that I'm an artist, right? But, like, how often do I really make art? What am I doing as an artist? Nothing. I'm studying graphic design, right? Um, and so, I mean, well, that's a noble pursuit. That doesn't make you an artist, right? You're not doing anything in the community. You're not creating. You're not sharing that with the world, right? You're not trying to better your career. Um, and so... With that being said, a year later, I really did accept that because the fruits of my labor did pay off um, and big things happened. Um, but to stay on timeline of the track of the story, basically, um, after I left college, um, Nadi was the nicest person in the world and his mother was also the nicest person in the world and allowed me to pay rent for, what was it, three months? Yeah, it was, it was for sure. It was after I went to school. Yeah. It was like three, four, maybe five months. Yeah, so um, three months and, you know, we stayed there and like, I mean, those nights I still call back to. Um, those are so good, dude. I mean, we would stay up, we'd, we'd just sit in the carport and uh, for all the kids listening, uh, we would just sit there. <laughs> <laughs> we, we would just sit there. And, uh, you know, enjoy life until 3 in the morning. Um, and have just bonfires. Have, and have bonfires and have good times. I, you know. Blasting music. I feel like my neighbors kind of hated us because I feel like we'd be blasting music. It's like 2, 3 in the morning. 
But we were so loud, though. That's like, what I was saying. laughing and cracking up. I too. live in an old people neighborhood. I know, bro. There's a lot of old... Well, now it's kind of like turning over. There's like, like the old people die. There's more young people. Right. But the people behind us, they got like two little kids. I know, bro. I... But <laughs> I mean, that's just being dumb and fucking 19 years old. But yeah, anyways... Like 19, yeah. Anyways, um... So, after that, I moved to Minneapolis. Um, and for all intents and purposes, uh, I moved to a trap house. Um, and, I mean, for legal reasons, I ain't gonna speak on that. But, um, basically, it was a crazy experience. I lived off Franklin. Um, you know, I have a lot of crazy stories from there, which, uh, sadly, we don't have time in this podcast for me to <laughs> dive into all the insane stories. Uh, to the bathroom. Nor, yeah, or nor, nor do I want to throw any of the homies under the bus or what have we. We're not, we're not about that. We're just... Nah, bro. Stitches get stitches, bro. I learned that at fucking five years old. Um... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so (laughs) it's the type of thing where, um, you know, I started, uh, really pursuing my art career. Uh, while I lived there, I met, um, a wonderful person by the name of DJ Nanobite. If you've never heard of Nanobite, look him up, go to his shows in Minneapolis. He is the shit. He is the lead singer of a band called Black Wine. They just did, um, he just did his, he hosted one of his, I think his second show at 7th Ave is DJ Nanobite, and Black Wine plays at 7th Ave on a regular basis. For those of y'all that are not locally bound or from Minnesota, like, 7th Ave is connected to 1st Ave, and 1st Ave is, like, one of the biggest venues there. It's like, um, where, like Prince performed there. Yeah, Prince performed there. Um, if, if you're, uh, if you're, big, like if you're a big enough star there, and you perform there, you get a star on the wall, like, that's their whole thing. And so, um, if you ever visit, visit Minneapolis... Try and catch a show at First Ave or Seventh Entry, even if it's something local, something you're not interested in, because it's an amazing vibe and amazing. Bro, I remember being a kid. Uh, my homie Jake used to go. Shout out Hard R. Yeah, also Hard Minneapolis R. Artist. We used to go watch his dad in Doom Tree rap, because because it, it was his dad. Like we get backstage pass when we had First Ave do those shows, were bumping. I remember a couple times like they do. We were backstage, like the whole rap gang would come up. They'd be like. Come on stage, come on stage. Like we uh Hard R and I would go out, Jake and I would go out, we'd be dancing, just like doing our thing, enjoying stage. There's like a couple thousand people out there just like oh, we're like ten years old, just trying to jam. <laughs> Dude, first half is lit. Living your best life. Nah. And I mean yes, I, I love that venue, right? Um and I mean the creatives in Minnesota, um, I have I have some things that I'm not thrilled with, but the creatives in Minnesota are wonderful. Whether it be music, whether it be art, whether it be food, honestly, cuisine. I mean, like, I last podcast, Chats with Zach, they mentioned pimentos, and I, I almost screamed pimentos at my job while I was listening to this, bro. I was like, pimentos! Bro, they're oh, so fire. So fire. So fire. I had me dream about pimentos that night, like, no cap. <laughs> like, um, hey, Tino, shout out for you for putting me on, though. I mean, shit. Tino dude. the man, bro. Facts. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so basically after all that happened, um, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, I linked up with Rob and he started getting me into bars at the age of 19 and I started selling art as a vendor. Um, and it's funny cause I actually mentioned Zach and I don't even think he knew this, um, earlier this weekend once he flew in and we started chatting that like before I moved to Denver in two years, I hadn't been to a bar where I wasn't working. Um, and that kind of solidifies kind of the point that I'm getting to at the end of the story. But, um, you know, like I wasn't interested in going to a bar and getting drunk. That shit was, I did all that shit in high school. 
I left that shit in high school where it belonged, right? Like, <laughs> for me, it was like, if I'm going to a bar, that's a business opportunity. You know what I'm saying? That's a connection opportunity. I can meet these local artists. I can meet these local DJs. Like, I did a show with DJ Cam, bro, and I haven't seen so many people in that fucking spot ever, right? And then to hear, you know, when I'm out here a year later that I do a flyer for Rob's show, um, and, you know, fucking Part Wolf sells the fuck out, and it's packed in there, and Oscar's telling me you can't even move in that bitch. And I'm like, damn, I'm out here in Denver, and I did all the promotional work for that show. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck I look like, bro? Like, um, but no, I mean, it's good. Um, you know, I'm, uh, it, it feels good, you know, like, that's my roots. That's where I come from. That's where my career really started and started to take off. Um, and after I'd been doing that for six months or so, uh, basically I, I got reached out from a promotional company and they asked if I wanted to do a show with 300 artists. Um, and that's when I really knew, uh, I was like, I'm an artist now I'm doing this show and I'm going to make it happen. And like, um, something I really want to get across in this podcast is it's about the legwork y'all. Like anyone that sits here and tells you like anyone that sits here and tells you that you can pay Instagram promotions or do this or do that. Nah, bro. Like. I was out there, bro, walking the blocks of Minneapolis and downtown and other places, bro. You were hanging pushing up those my, tickets so hard. Push it, pushing them tickets, bro, and hanging up them flyers for my show, bro. So like, hard. Yeah, like, I was calling everybody I knew. I was trying, like... Even people you hadn't talked to in a long-ass time. Bro, you like, Yo, years. Hey, man, like, I'm doing the show. Like, you want a ticket? It's like 20 bucks, like... 300 artists are going to be there. Like, it's not just going to be me. Like, you can say hi or what up, bro. Like, there's right. food, there's drinks, bro. Like, and it was at a big club in Minneapolis um, called The Poor House. And, um, I mean, honestly, it was a wonderful night. And, um, you know, it, it, it's funny because here I was living in this house and everything was going good. And I do this big art show. Immediately after I do that art show, I become homeless. <laughs> and Round two. Round two. And, um... What I can say is I learned a lot from my first experience, um, but at the same time, it was this was much more debilitating. I mean, a motherfucker was living out of his car um, and bouncing again from house to house. At least I had a car this time, though, and I wasn't on foot. So, um, you know, the benefit there is, like, it steps and there's elevation, right? And so I was able to at least secure... I want to touch on that for a little bit, like, spend yeah. a little bit of time on that, because you're talking about, like, like, you learned a lot from, from being homeless and... To be honest, bro, like, I don't think a lot of people can even, like, fathom what that's really like. Just because, you know, for, like, the super vast majority of everybody, especially here in America, like, you don't ever have to worry about that. And, like, just, like, the chats you and I have had about, like, uh, in the past, like, security, just, like, like these, like, really kind of, like, fundamental things, but, like, what would you say was like a couple things like that you learned that have really like shaped you into who you are today or like, like the biggest takeaways that mm. from like, not only like, like the first time. Right. But then, cause you said like that made it easier into the second time. Cause you yeah. had those lessons. Like what were those lessons? Um, if you could, you know, I'm sure you've actually probably never been asked that. No, I actually, well, it's funny. I've never been asked it, but I've definitely thought about it. So, um, I guess the biggest lesson, and this is something that I recommend to anyone who becomes homeless, and I know it's not applicable to every situation, but y'all got to use your resources, right? 
Like, if you got homies, if you got people that are willing to put you up for a night, a week, or whatever, right? It's better than sleeping outside, strapping yourself to a tree, holding a knife all night, being terrified if you're going to get robbed. It's better than that. So, like, that's my piece of it is, like, you got to use your resources. If you have resources that are going to better your life, you have to use them, right? I think the key there and the balance there is you don't abuse those resources, right? You know, um... And that's key. That's key. And so... Um, so I, if you abuse them, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them, right? And so, I mean, a good example of that is my relationship with Nadi and his mother, right? Um, and honestly, like, Nadi's been a wonderful friend to me. He's always been a support um, in my life. But, like, at the same time, I don't abuse Zach, right? Like, I don't sit here and I'm not sitting here like, I need you for this. I need you for that. I need you to do this for me. I need you to do that for me. Like, I'm not constantly asking for bagouts or whatever. You actually hardly ever ask for anything. Like, to to be completely honest, you hardly ever ask, like, especially like when you were living at the hot, at the crib. Like, you hardly, I think, it, I don't know if it was like for you, but like, like a pride thing, but like, you like hardly ever asked for anything. Yeah. Like, and you were like almost hev- hesitant to take, because for you, you guys that don't know, Mama Chris, like, her biggest fault is she cares so damn much. Like, she cares... People meet her, and they're like, God damn. <laughs> she cares so much. That's, like, such, a, that's such an accurate description, too. Like, Mom, I know, you're, I know you're going to listen to this, but, like, <laughs> like... That's really, like... People... They was like, she really, like, cares that much? Like, yes. She does Like, honestly, I don't think, like... I don't think she knows how to not like do it. Like you were like almost like hesitant to like take the help that she, cause she was just like handing it out left and right. Oh yeah, bro. Oh yeah. And like you were almost hesitant to take it a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and for me, I mean, that kind of brings me to my second piece. Which I is, love you too, mom. Don't take that for anything less. Mama Chris, we all love you. <laughs> You're worry. the greatest. You're the most, you more, one of the most wonderful people I know. You have put food in my stomach so many nights. <laughs> so many nights you put food in my stomach. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, nah, I, I think the important thing though is that, um, you know, the second piece. And that that's a nice transition actually. Um, the second piece for me is just that like, you know, um, when you're homeless, bro, and life hits you like a bus, bro, no one's going to change your life for you. you got to change it, right? And so, um, mm. you, I mean, that's that's what mm. it is. Like, you got to change your life, bro. Like, mm-hmm. um, And when I became homeless the first time, I made a decision. I'm taking care of me and mines. And I'm going to make sure they're good. I eat family eats, period. End of discussion, right? Um, and so... That means if I got sixty dollars in my bank account and my homie got twenty, and they need a meal, best believe I'm sending twenty. I'm sending a third of my money to them. I don't care because I eat, they eat, right? I need to, I need to better my life so that I can make more opportunities for my for my people, and that's that's the end of this, you know, end of the discussion. Like, um, like you're gonna go through trials and tribulations through life, but only you can change. Those shitty situations. Only you can get yourself out of homelessness. Ain't nobody else going to pull you out of homelessness. There's going to be kind people that are going to give you resources and help you along the way, bro. But, like, at the end of the day, you abuse those resources. To your point, Naughty, you lose those resources. So you sleeping on somebody's couch for four months with no job, bro, and you just abusing the free rent and the free food they're giving you, of course they're going to kick your ass out. They have the right to. They should kick your ass out. 
Um, and that's not to be brutal. I obviously understand. I struggle with my own mental illness, right? Everyone's situation is different. But, right, like... That's just, like, the reality of the world, dude. Like, I mean... Even if you're going through the shit, like, you still gotta figure out how to take care of your own shit. Right. Like... It, and, and if you me, don't have a job, like, you at least got to be looking for one. Right. And for me, it's all about having a plan, right? And that's really what it is at the end of the day, is you got to have a plan. Um, and that's the biggest stepping stone. And then trying to follow through, trying to stay consistent and disciplined. Um, I don't want to say I necessarily learned all those lessons from homelessness, but the two biggest ones I can take away is you won't change your situation, and you need to use your resources in the most desperate times. Because if you don't use your resources because you feel like a burden or you don't want to put that on their shoulders, right? For me, and maybe it was the community and the people I surrounded myself with specifically, but people are a lot more caring than people give them credit for. Um, and they will reach your, they will put their hand out and they will, they will help you climb up that rock, you know, a lot more of the time than, than, you know, I even thought was possible. And to speak on the point of me being hesitant, that's the piece of it, Right is I didn't know if those were genuine. I know now at the age of 23 where I can look back on it after years and years and years be like, man, Mama Chris was one of the most generous, caring people. Like, <laughs> I love the shit out of her. Like, every time I go to her house, she got a meal for me, right? Like, You made the comment earlier that you gain five pounds every time you go come over to the house. Bro, dead ass though. Like, that woman... And will, you get sent home with two bags of groceries. Straight up. Like, no cap. Like, <laughs> even if I'm living in Colorado, that woman Still will literally give me two bags of groceries and be like, take that home. Like, I know it's a 14-hour drive, but take that home. Um, so Bro, she she doesn't care. She's just like you take. You know what's funny? She she would get mad at you. I know. I know. When she you would. went, she gets so mad. <laughs> she, cause you would go to bed right, or like you wouldn't be home one day, and she would come back, and she'd come talk to me. She'd be like, "Murph won't take the help." <laughs> she's just, <laughs> she's just so mad because all she wanted to do was just help you, bro. And like she, she's like. I just want to give him some damn food. That boy needs to eat. He's too skinny. He needs a cheeseburger. <laughs> and mom, I'm sorry. That's a terrible impersonation of you. It's absolutely <laughs> atrocious. I'm so sorry. But like, Chris, do not read into this interview too much. I'm going to be real with you. It is all love, mom. It is all love. <laughs> like, uh, but. She gets so mad that you just like wouldn't... like openly accepting she's like why won't he do this <laughs> like well it's just like but yeah no dude it's, it is true i think that's like a big issue that a lot of people have especially like when they're in i don't know what it is but like our generation specifically i think that's more of an issue than like in past and you and i have like kind of talked about this too at some points but i think part of it too is like like um we live so much on, like, social media, and it's all, like, everybody kind of knows that that's, like, almost disingenuine, or, like, they're putting up, like, the best version of themselves, like, almost as a facade, so that they look better than maybe they are, and... Very true. I think because, like, we spend so much time on that, like, that's what we view reality is, like, like, people are just, they're putting up a front to look better than what they are. And, like, there's always been, like, there's been so much bullshit going on the last, especially the last couple of years, that people are just, like, 
Like they they view it as just a front, right? Like, and then when they meet you in person, they have that going into it. It's like, oh, what front are they putting on? And then it's like, well, all right, cool. Like they seem so genuine, seem so nice. What do they actually want from me? Or like, what are their like real reasons for being genuine and kind, or seemingly genuine and kind? And then like when you're in that spot, like how you were, dude. Like, when you actually need to reach out to those people and, like, for lack of a better term, like, just suck it up and do it. Like, it's, like, now you have that, like, that extra step that, you know, like, worst case scenario, like, dude, that really could be, like, the difference between, like, you making and you not. You know, like, like make, like, simply making a phone call. Right. You know? Well, and it's, um, there's a, uh, there's an expert from um, Good Kid, Mad City. Um, it's uh, it's technically a skit, and I don't know if it's actually Kendrick's mom or not. I don't know if she actually partook in recording that, but um, <laughs> listen to the song really. No, 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 no. no. It, but there's an expert in it where um, she talks about how like uh, she's it's a voicemail she leaves for Kendrick. That's the idea on the album, and it's like. You need to stick with this music shit. You need to call so and so. Like oh. it's from like our family's from Chicago. It runs in our blood. Yada yada yada. I I can't quote it verbatim, but uh, basically, like to me, that's what it resonates with. Is like to your point, Nani, that could change your life, right? And like that was Rob for me, right? I'm thankful every day Rob came into my life, bro. Because if it wasn't for Rob, if Rob wasn't interested in actually bringing me out and showing me this scene, like. I don't think I would have the confidence or I would be nearly as far in my art career um, because he was just, he saw the potential and he saw the art in me, you know, before. And same thing with you, Nani, in the barbershop show. Um, I know I, I didn't touch on this very much, but for those of you that don't know, shout out to this man, this host, this wonderful person <laughs> that is not only a smart individual and a great person, um, but he he really did give me a push in a time of my life where I really needed it. And he got my first acquisition of hey, a little barbershop. Shout out shop. Stelio Cuts. Shout out Stelio Cuts, bro. I still, they, I still get my haircut local. every day. Every time I'm in town, bro. Like, Dude, if, I, if I'm, like, for real, like, going to a place that's, like, not a legit barber is no, like, it, it's kind of like, it's, it's like getting soggy french fries when you know you could get, like, the best french fries. That's a terrible analogy, but it's just nowhere near as good, dude. Here's a better one. We had steak tonight. Delicious steak. Uh, it's like Stelio's for haircuts is, like, that perfectly medium steak with, like, just a little, like, the perfect char marks on the outside. Just tender, like, butter. And then going to other places is like when you order medium and it comes overly well done and like it's just barely juicy. Like it gets the job done, but like it's just not anywhere close to the same, man. Right. It's just not. Um, they just, dude, they opened up like a fourth location too. Right off Washington and third. Bro, that's what's up in downtown. Mm-hmm. Because I was visiting Hatch at, uh, at Steelheart uh, Distillery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he's working. And I was like, oh shit, they got a new location. Oh, yeah, bro. I mean, I got nothing but love for that place. Um, for I those have to get you that, up on Easter. Yeah. 
Yeah, get this fade cleaned up, bro. Right, facts. I mean, I just got mine, bro. I mean, I know it looking good, but um, <laughs> it does. It to stroke, to stroke myself a little bit. Um, yeah. So I mean, I I can't say enough good things about Stulio, and it's funny. Like the thing that resonates with me about the whole thing is like I remember walking in there and like I got all my artwork with me. I got it all printed. I got it all framed. And I walk in there, and I, being the amateur artist I am, mistakenly do not ask them about the quality or what they expect, right? Because this is a barbershop that kids walk into, right? And so I'm like, dude, like, is my stuff even appropriate, right? Because, you know, some of my stuff got swear words on it. Some of it, you know, is about some deeper shit. I mean, there was a drawing that was included in there with, uh, it was technically a self-portrait of me, and I, I looked like a South Park character holding a bottle of Hennessy. And what does is, what is the lead barber say to me? He looks at me and he goes, bro, we got titties on our pool table. I ain't concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, cool, bro. Cool, that's what's up. <laughs> we got titties <laughs> on our pool table. I ain't concerned. <laughs> oh, bro, is that David? Yeah, bro, yeah. Oh, that's, the, oh, that's for y'all that don't know. That David's the owner and, oh, okay. of Steely. I didn't even know that till, yeah, till tonight. Yeah, he, right he cut my hair. He gave me a cut once, and I was just, like, chopping it up with him. And he was like, yeah, because they, like, just opened their location in St. Paul. Mm, nice. And they were looking for a third location, uh, which I think they put in Calhoun or Uptown area. They're closer to Calhoun because their first location's in Uptown. And now they got the fourth location in downtown. But yeah, <laughs> that's fucking, oh my God, that's yeah. great. And um, another small town business. Dude is just like, I wanted to start a barbershop, hires good barbers, great barbers actually. Wonderful barbers. Cody's my dude there, bro. Every time I'm in town, bro, I, I fucking message Cody and I need a haircut. And I'm like, bro. But I go see Allie usually. Mm, Allie's also good too. She hooks you up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got nothing but great respect for that place. And, like, for any young artist that happens to be listening to this podcast, like, that's what I encourage you to do, bro. Like, you got to sell yourself, man. Um, And it's one of the hardest things that I had to learn and develop. Um, And so, uh, you know, and this kind of leads me into, like, the second half or whatever. So after, you know, I became stable and I found a place living, right, Um, you know, I was living... I was living in this nice spot, uh, down Franklin a little ways, but it was right, right by the, off the river. Right off the river. For those of nice, you that don't nice. know, um, you know, that isn't that is an easy place to find. Like it was kind of a gem. Like we just found it, we moved in, bam, bam, bam. Um, and I personally loved it. I would go down to the river every other day, especially when the pandemic hit, and I would just read or sketch or just get my peace and serenity in there, roll a J. You know, and, you know, uh, enjoy myself. Um, and, uh, you know, that self-confidence piece of it is like, after that art show, I was a solidified artist. And uh, one of our good homies, Felix, um, like, uh, I remember telling him, he, he happened to stay with me right before that big art show I did at the poorhouse. Um, and he looked at me and he goes, bro, I see you going hard. Like, where are you trying to take this shit? And I looked at him and I said, I'm starting now, and I ain't fucking stopping. And I haven't. Um, you know, there's been slow periods. There's been roller coaster effect periods. But for the most part, generally speaking, my art stays consistent. It keeps getting better, and there's an elevation there. Um, and I've not only proved that to myself, I feel like I've proved that to the world. Um, like, you can hop on my Instagram and see that shit for yourself. 
scroll all the way down and come all the way back up. Like, you'll see the progression. It's there. No, for, dude, every, uh, it's about this time of year, actually. It was just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I sent it to you, but I have uh, this memory, this like day in my Snapchat memories pops up every year, yeah, right? Do. It's like, yeah. God, now it's got to be at least six years old, right? It's like you. Yeah, coming up on six, yeah. It's like you, Mike, Haley, like Pose there. Such a weird fucking group. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. Facts. Um, but it's like you, it's. You wearing like this like green flannel Hawaiian shirt type deal, a white undershirt. Probably still own that shit. Like it's probably in my closet right now. Probably. Yeah. And you got like this sketch photo of of Scooby doing Shaggy, mm. and you're holding it up next to your face, just like cheesing so hard. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for those of you that don't know, hey. I have a pretty big cheesing smile. Like when I smile fully, bro, I look like hey. I'm fucked up. Like, bro, that's fine. Bro, but like, we used to call this man, it, it, Murph's contact in my phone to this day is still shaggy. And it's because, like, we were back in high school. Murph had, he had the van. He embodied Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. And he had the freaking dog. I mean, too. I, I forget that actor's name, but, like, that motherfucker, my hero. From the, uh, oh, real the, life, move, the, the real life yeah, Scooby-Doo movies. Yeah, yeah. If you Live go to my action. Instagram, I, I look like him a little bit. Um, but yeah, like, basically, like, that Shaggy's my hero, bro. Dude, like, and you he would lives literally, life you would literally right. dress like him, too. Oh, yeah, bro. Like, not even, like, intentionally, I feel like. But, like, that's oh, just, yeah. like, your style. <laughs> oh, yeah, bro. I mean, I don't know. Them khakis and them fucking Hawaiian shirts, bro. I killed that shit senior year. Like, that was me. Like That, was, that was Murphy. Yeah. That was um, Murphy. Yeah, uh, uh, touch on a little bit about like, like right up right before you moved out here to Colorado, and then kind of since you've been in Colorado. Mm. So right before I moved out of Colorado, um, my life was rather hectic. Um, I was still living uh, by the river. This is probably six months from where I left off, uh, roughly in my story. Um, and the pandemic hit, um, and uh, for me, I. I struggled with that a lot. Um, I watched my entire scene and all my vending and everything that I really loved about the art scene of Minneapolis collapse overnight. Yeah, because you were I, trying to, you were really trying to make some moves that year too. Yeah, um, you had big plans. I was trying to set up shows, bro. I was trying to get my own show popping, like, and um, you know, I know hella art, you know, hip hop artists and DJs and shit back home in Minneapolis. Like, I had all the connections, all the people. I just needed to find a space, and I needed to start talking to some club owners. And then COVID happened, and that all got shut down. Um, real quick, real fast, you know, unpredicted. Yeah. Um, and for me, I watched places that I was planning on throwing this show close overnight. Um, Honey's a good example of that. Honey's gone, right? It was a club in Minneapolis. It was super dope. It was super chill. Like, um, I really wish it would come back, but it, it won't. Um, and so the point of the matter is, like, that affected me greatly, and then I had some personal issues that I was going through. Um, I won't touch on that in this podcast. Um, those are things that I still haven't unpacked myself in life, and so it takes time. Um, yeah, it takes time. Um, and so, uh, you know, basically, I knew I needed to change. Um, and about three months prior um, to uh, to the timeline we're talking about, like I basically made a decision that I was going to move to Denver. 
Um, I felt it was the right fit. I felt it was the right move. Um, and I really... This about like January, about the year before, right? Yeah. Um, and this was even before COVID hit. So, like, I was already planning on moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because, like, right before I moved, like, life will throw everything at you to stop you from getting to where you need to be. And I know that now, right after living out here for roughly a year and a half, like, uh, kind of everything I've worked towards since I moved out here has come to fruition at this point. I'm starting to actually get noticed. Um, I got a little magazine interview that's going to come out. I got a little, you know, I did, I, you did I that just, school after school work. You did this kids yeah, program. Oh, actually, no. But that's, we, we ain't going to touch on that. But, um, you know, I, I did a little NFT uh, show. I did a little art show out here. Um, you know, things, you know, I'm making the connections. I'm talking to the people I need to talk to. Um, that's the main point I'm trying to get across. Um, and I mean, basically all in all, like, uh, kind of, you know, what I'm seeing is that, you know, during that period, I lost my job (laughs) working as a graphic artist. I lost my job, got fired, um, had to go back to kitchens. Um, which was incredibly detrimental to me. Um, and I had all this money I had saved. I had to then spend to just try and live and make rent and make it out. Right. And so, um, Nadi, as he mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, like I moved out here and I had $200 in my pocket (laughs) and I, you know, I, I pretty much had $200 in my pocket and like, I didn't necessarily feel right about asking you and Eric for money. Um, but like at the same time, I needed that money to live to, you know, and it was all related to just like moving out here and expenses and just like splitting the drive. It wasn't a lot of money in retrospect. It was like, what, like a hundred dollars, maybe $150 or something like that. And both Eric and I were like more than happy to help. Yeah. Help no, with that, like, I mean, y'all are real homies. Like it's, it's why we've been friends so long. So, um, but the, uh, the point I'm getting to is like, Life will throw everything at you to make you not chase your dreams, bro. But if you can find a way to bob and weave, you can get to them, bro. Um, And, I mean, it paid off slowly here, but it paid off big. Like, um, you know, my first job as a graphic artist, or no, as a graphic designer out here, I should say. Correct myself. Um, The important things. As a graphic designer, like, I designed the place for the Met Gala. I'm looking at it right now. Um, behind Naughty. Um, it is a gorgeous plate, y'all. Yeah. Like, if you guys don't know, I didn't know this until I was listening to, like, some other podcasts, actually. It costs $30,000 mm-hmm. a single plate. So, an entire year of my college tuition cost a single plate. Well, that's that, not to the, mention the ten grand that you spending on gala apparel. Right. You got to come out looking fresh, right. boy. So we're t- w- let's round it up, right, because they probably they got to pull out all the stops, like the limo with the spot to stay. We'll say 60K for one night. Yeah, pretty much. Right. That's so I'm talking two years of my college experience paid for, like, I could pay for two years of college and people are playing for eight hours at a dinner and a red carpet and the man I'm sitting across from literally designed the plates for them. Now, I, I do want to say it wasn't solely me. There was a team behind me, and I do want to give them credit. Got to shout out the team. Got to shout out the team um, out here in Colorado. But um, this man designed the plates for the freaking Met Gala. 
Yeah. Um, the Met Gala. The Met Gala in New York. So the crazy thing for me, and this is the big thing, is like if you know anyone famous at the Met Gala, if you're paying thirty grand to get into a fucking gala, best believe you're taking the plate home with you. They ain't keeping the plate, right? And so, um, you know, ASAP Rocky, Rihanna, just, you know, Kid Cudi, a few of the people that I look up to in the world, right? Those people have something that I manufactured, not only designed, but manufactured by hand in their house. Hmm. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. You know. That's fun. Dude, okay. This is kind of a small podcast now, but like, imagine like if one day one of those people heard that. And then like they heard like you were the one to design that plate. And they're like, oh. And then like they go find it in the house. And like... I just listened to the podcast where the cat who designed this was being interviewed. Right. Like, that'd be kind of... That'd be wild. I mean... And that's, that's some dream shit. Well, facts. And, I mean, that's things coming full circle, right? Um, and, I mean, the biggest thing is that, you know, that didn't come with trials and tribulations, right? That's just now, now in my story, right? Um, that's very recent. That's very recent. It's like recent. the 2021 Met Gala. Right. Or 2022. No, 2021. 2021, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in uh, the company I did work for did pick up the 2022, and the team designed plays for that, too. And whoever the project lead on that was, like, I believe it was Katie. Shout out to Katie. Katie's awesome. She's lit. Um, <laughs> she probably won't listen to this or know what this is, but... Um, one day. One day. If, if y'all ever go on Enduring Images website and you see Katie, she the shit. Just know. Her and Sammy, both of them the shit. Like... Um, and <laughs> you have uh, to tell Sammy now. Oh, I will. I'll, I'll share it with him. I shout your name out. It's Nippy out today. <laughs> Without, for all y'all that don't know, like Sammy, Sammy Lancock, like she's legit. Like if you ever happen to run across her in the Colorado metro area, she's super chill, super amazing person. Um, definitely say what up to her. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing that. The thing that I'm saying is just like, um, you know, that's all late in my career, right? This was all something I built towards. And, like, it didn't come without, without, you know, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And, I mean, even still to this day, and me and you had a conversation about this. Um, like, here's the crazy thing, bro. Like, when I come home from work, I don't care about, I don't immediately go smoke weed. I don't immediately go... And be like, oh, I'm going to go out and drink and have a good time and party. Um, I'm sitting down and I'm getting right to work. Because that's what I need to do. Um, and, and that's like what actually brings you joy in life. Yeah. Um, I mean, aside from everything else. But, you know, I mean. For like, anyone, that's like one of the core things for yeah, you. Yeah. For anyone that's trying to better or further their life. Like, that's one of the biggest things I can tell you about my story. Is that it's not about the hours that you put in from 9 to 5. At whatever job you're doing. It's about the hours you put in after the fact. Um, and that's coming from someone who worked shitty restaurant jobs. And got off at fucking 1 in the morning. And went home and worked for 4 hours. Went to bed at 5. Woke up at fucking 10 in the morning. Rinse and repeat. For months and weeks. Dude, I think that's like really important to hear. Because especially like over the last 2 years. You know, like we had the pandemic. People were literally told not to work. And there's a lot of people. like You include like made more money not working than actually going to a job working. So I think it's like, and I've been noticing this, like just like training people and like talking to other people like our age and people of all ages in general, to be honest. But it's like, like the idea of work 
is so almost foreign to people and like the fact like wait you mean i gotta put in like blood sweat and tears to this like actually make it worth it but i think like like, this is really what i love about your story man is like you've been there done that time and time and time again and we're only 23 but like I've Dude, lived, you I've lived the, a crazy five years, bro. <laughs> that is Wild. an understatement. <laughs> like, Wild five years. But I think like that's important to realize like how much has happened in like like for you in five years, right? Like we're gonna be twenty eight in five years. Five years ago we were eighteen. Like that five years ago does not seem like that long. You know, but it's like like just putting in the day-to-day work, even if, like, you don't necessarily, like, always want to or is, like, not feeling it, like, those days, like, I think that's, like, the point you made earlier, like, you proved it to yourself, like, you were an artist after the Raw show because you'd actually done something that what you consider an artist does. You did an art show. Yeah. Right? But it's, like, how many hours did you put into that one night, like, leading up to it? Because, dude, I remember... Like, you were going, like, you always say, I'm nuts. I started thinking about how nuts you were. Oh, I was insane. Because you were like, I got eight paintings, I got three drawings, I got this, I've been working 45 hours a week, and, like, I'm still putting an extra 30 hours into my art every week, and it's like, I'm like... Oh, I was pulling 70 weeks, bro. I wasn't sleeping. I'm going to be real with you. I wasn't sleeping. But, like, at the same time, I made quality work. I had a great night, and I sold shit, right? And that's... You That's did everything key. you went out there to do. Right. But it was like you put in. I think this. I've kind of started to like realize this. Kai Green, who's a bodybuilder, if y'all know this, he has a quote. He's like, you should be so prepared for your competition day. Even if it's an off day for you, you still outshine everybody else. And I think like that show for you in particular, like embodies that, dude. Because like you were putting in so much work, not only just making art for that show but literally going out knocking door to door calling everybody you know just to like sell tickets right because for you guys that don't know like murph had to buy his tickets first up like it's not like they just handed him tickets like he had to buy them yeah so the the promotion company to break it down for y'all um large-scale art shows like this with a lot of local artists typically how they work is you buy all the tickets up front and then you get entry to the show. Okay, so I had to sell, I think it was like 15 to 20 tickets. I can't remember exactly how much it was. But then it's on you, bro. Otherwise, you losing money before you even step in the door. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, you know. And it's not to mention like all the product costs to like, make the stuff for the show. Right. I mean, we're talking. That's just to get in the door. Yeah, we're talking about like, I spent over $200 on product costs just to get into that show. And like, granted. Over time, that's all evened out. I've all, you know, I've sold all those pieces for the most part. I mean, a few of them I've given away as gifts. You have a lot of my art in your fucking own personal collection. Um, I know that. About four or five pieces of my own. Oh my god, bro! I love it every time I walk into your fucking. They're all hanging up. I know. They're all hanging up on the wall. Um, and it it makes me happy, but, um, I mean that's the piece of it where it's like, for me. You know, that's the business piece of it. The thing that I still don't understand that I'm trying to improve on, right? And, like, it's different than just sitting down and creating, right? Like, I got to sit there with my computer for five hours a night and research shit and figure out how to make the business side of things work. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's, for me, that's, that's a hard piece of it, right? And for a lot of artists, that's a hard piece of it. And, um, you know, but I, you know, I compare it to, again, putting in the legwork, right? Like, no one's going to make your situation better for you, right? No one's going to, you know, uh, sit there and be like, oh, no, it's, it's, let, let, let me just do everything for you. Like, the chances of that happening in your life are so low, like, it's not worth trying to bank on that. You got to make it happen for yourself. But on the flip side, that's going to benefit you because knowledge is power. And the more you know about what you want to know about, the more effective you can be, the more efficient you can be, the more powerful you become in that in that sphere, right? In mm-hmm. that in that group, in that whatever you're trying to do, right? Whether that be marketing, whether that be sales, whether that be fitness, whether that be whatever, art, it doesn't matter. The more knowledge you have, the more you're able to show your worth to the world, you know, the farther you're going to go. And that's the facts. Don't love that. And guys, like, we've been kind of keeping, like, mostly serious. If y'all, like, ever actually interact with Murph, this man is so fucking goofy. Oh, I'm the goofiest man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talk about some real shit here, and, like... Oh, yeah, like, that's I, kind of what it... Like, we're talking about how to earn a good day, and, like... Dude, I... Like, just... I was literally just thinking to myself, like... Having this conversation with you, doing this, like, interview, which... One feels like kind of weird because like we just talk this like this is stuff you want to talk about oh bro this is this like every time i see this man like y'all think this is like oh this is a serious conversation like they're sitting down and do it no bro this is every time we see each other we reminisce about this shit all the time we like, we spent like three hours talking about like the issues of the world over lunch earlier today <laughs> like legit three and we were talking like oh like, and it got talking, heated like, too yeah, it got like, real heated. Cause we and it was like about like the issues were like around George Floyd, like how like like things in the government and like how things were handled, et cetera, et cetera. Were, yeah, and like like how you can actually change it. But like what we both kind of ca- came to realize, like at the end of it, like we were saying, like it comes down to like individual people doing what you've literally been talking about this whole interview is just is just doing the footwork, right? You know, and I think that's like. I don't know why, like, where we lost that in translation, that you can just, you know, skip the footwork part of it. Because, like, so I'm, I'm a personal trainer in nutrition, and, like, I put in a lot, and I've put in a lot of hours into my craft, and I would like to think I'm pretty good at it. And, like, people ask me, like, how do you do this? Like, how do you know all this stuff? And it's like, like, to be honest, people, like, Really, at the end of the day, like, if you want to keep it as simple as you can, it is just putting in the footwork day in and day out and, you know, like, refining your craft. Like, when you learn something, what I learned is as soon as I would learn it, I would go try and apply it. Because for me, a lot of it was school, right? Or, like, I would hear a YouTube video or an interview or something to that extent. And I would then go literally the next day assess like which clients that this would help and I'll go teach it to them you know and it was like because I took like what I learned and then applied it right away the thing like I've really been able to go but like at the end of the day like it is it's it's the footwork right 
and I was talking to my mom about this, and my dad made this comment to me. He's like, I'll, t- I'll speak on my dad, because he was like, kid, like, so my dad's an alcoholic, right? Dude is made, he's 13 years sober. Um, Props to Brian Kennedy, that man. That man been through shit that me, me and you can't even imagine. 15 years, actually, coming up. He's coming up on his 15th, now that I think about it. Um, but, like, he told me one day, because I was, like, you were just talking about, like, alcohol and, like, alcoholism and, you know, just addiction in general. Because, like, for me, it runs my family. But he was, like, you know, kid, like, at the end of the day, like, people don't change until they hit rock bottom. And, like, yeah, I think that's true for a lot of people. But I think that's because, like, until you hit rock bottom, like, you don't have a reason enough to change. Right? And it's because, like... like I resonate with that like a motherfucker. Like, like, and that's because, like, guys, like, the footwork is hard work. No, Murph isn't going to sit here and tell you that shit was easy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that shit was easy. I was having a conversation with my mom... And she was just like, it's like, honey, how do you like do all this stuff? Cause like I have two jobs. I do the podcast. I work out at least once a day, if not like twice a day, every single day. And I was like, mom, like to me, it's pretty simple. Like the pain of whatever I have to go through to get to my goals is way less than the pain of not reaching those goals or staying the same. And it's like, once I think you kind of like have to get to the point where it's like, when you believe in like you want your goal so bad that the pain of not having them is greater than any difficulty you have to overcome to achieve them. Like, dude, when you get to that power, like that level, which I know you're at, dude, you're literally unstoppable because now it's like, oh, at like you, because like you recognize you're going to have to go through difficulties either way. Whether it's the difficulty of doing artwork after work after like a 12-hour shift or if it's me doing like my programming and program design and learning new stuff after I worked at Ponchero's, after I trained four clients, after I did my second workout and it's now, you know, 10 o'clock. Like, yeah, I'm going to spend that extra time because that little bit of difficulty is just that. It's a little bit of difficulty compared to not having, not being where I want to be in life. Yeah. And, dude, like, I, like, your transition, like, you talking about, you like, yourself and, like, doing that work and, like, how it makes you feel. Knowing where, like, you started and, like, kind of reminiscing that, like, this whole podcast. I guess they do, like, to me, like, being your homie, your boy, your brother. It warms my heart so much, and like it made it. I'm filled with like joy and pride to call you like my friend and my brother because I know. I know how far you've come, at, and I can see how far you're going, bro. Like I can literally like see it because you just it is like you're just not gonna stop. Well, thank you, bro. I, I really appreciate that sentiment. Um, I mean, for me personally, when it comes down to it, is. I can't go back to having $200 and being homeless. I won't. And I'm going to do everything in my goddamn power to reach my goals to not be that. 
Um, that being said, I know we had a conversation earlier today related to if that situation does happen to happen to people. Um, I firmly do believe, and this is an unpopular opinion, but simply that um, homeless people um, get a bad rap. Like, I've been with bums. I've been with motherfuckers on the street, bro. Like, they're not all bad people, bro. Actually, the majority of them are really good people that have been put in really shitty situations. Yeah, dude, we were talking about, like, the medical bills. Like, a lot Mm -hmm. of heroin addicts, like, start out as, like, they get prescribed prescription painkillers, like Oxy. Mm Mm-hmm. But then you get hooked on that shit, or, like, you have, like, a major surgery, because, you know, shit happens, and you have a $100,000 medical bill. And I'm not even speaking on that, like, to give y'all perspective, it's not... Like, I was homeless, but the majority of my interactions with those people was not when I was homeless. It was on Franklin, and it was talking to those people, and it was interacting with those people, and really understanding that community, right, um, and integrating with that community, right? Um, I mean, obviously, you got to be smart, and you got to understand how to move, and you got to realize the bullshit from the non-bullshit, yeah. right? I mean, the dude that's trying to convince you he need a bus ticket to St. Cloud, bro, you know, and $5, like, that's a motherfucker that trying to buy some crack. But the motherfucker who sits there and wants to have a real conversation with you over a 40, you sit there and you you hear him out. And the point that I'm trying to make is that, um, you know, there is, there's a lot of people that they don't know how to get from rock bottom up. And like for me, it's about putting in the legwork and grinding, right? Um, And... It's about staying consistent with what you need to stay consistent with and staying disciplined with what you need to stay disciplined with, right? If it matters to you, truly and honestly, I don't care what it is. You could be disciplined about playing video games and be really good about that, right? There's people that make tons of money playing video games. There's people that make millions of dollars a year playing video games online, right? But if you stay disciplined and consistent with it, like that's where you're going to see the results, right? In anything that you do. Um, you know, my art's a great example of that. Like, I fell into this shit. I fell in love with it. I ran with it. And that's been my whole life. To simplify my story as big as, as, as complicated and as detailed as it is, like, that's a good way to put it, is I stay consistent. I stay disciplined with it. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't give yourself breaks. That doesn't mean you don't take days off. That doesn't mean you don't take mental healing days. Because all those things across the board are very important. And you should take yeah, look those at like the whole, the big picture of it. The big picture, right? It's small steps to get to your gates, right? Um, it's not, you know, very few people in this world have one big step to get to their gate, and so few people, so few people, and like those people, you live in your best life. Props to you, right? Um, but even with that being said, like with me studying the music game and especially hip hop in general. There's a lot of one-hit wonders out here right now, you know, um, and they got their big step, and they got to their golden gates, and they thought it was all good, bro. Um, you know, one of the things that Sir Roxas has always told me, and I firmly do believe to be true, specifically to the Minnesota hip-hop scene, and specifically to hip-hop scenes across America, you gotta earn your respect in the underground before you can earn your respect on a national stage. And I've taken that same ideology, and I've applied that to art. You gotta earn yourself in the small-time venues, in the small-time galleries, in the small-time fucking bars, you know, where you're not even known for selling art, right? It's a bar, right? And they're just, you're lucky they're even letting you in there. 
you got to put in that legwork in those small time places to earn that respect and learn what you need to learn about the world and learn how to market yourself to get to those bigger steps, to get to those big guys. Yeah, I think we were talking about this earlier today too. Like that's, that's like that grassroots movement ideology mm-hmm. and philosophy is you, you know, like you start real small, but you stay consistent, especially when it's hard. And when you start small and you just keep going, like eventually if you continue on, like then you're going to get there one day, you know, like you got to take those small initial steps to like build almost like build up that momentum to earn. It's almost like earning the right to be on the national stage. You know, right. like Messi, he's like, I took like 17 years, six months and 12 days to become an overnight sensation. You know, 17 years is a long ass time, uh-huh. bro, to become an overnight sensation. Right. Like, that's all the legwork you put into that Raw show. And that's just your first one. And that's just my first one. Um, and, you know, some people could look at that and be like, oh, you're not elevating or you're not going up or whatever, right? The way I look at it is like, bitch, I don't care. I did the raw show. I did the raw show and it was amazing, right? And then the whole world went to shit. But you know what I did get? I got a job working as a graphic designer, which is unheard of with someone that doesn't have a bachelor's. So you know what? I'm content with that. And I made the plates for the Met Gala. And I did this. And I did that. Like... All that's kind of irrelevant. The point that I'm trying to make is it all comes from the legwork. It all comes from the fact that I stayed consistent and stayed with my art. And I learned how to sell myself and market myself. And that's what got me that job. Was my portfolio and the fact that I could sell myself. Right? It wasn't because I had a four-year degree. It wasn't because I studied graphic design. Um, I know y'all can't see me, but air quotes. Um... (laughs) You know, it wasn't because of that. It was because I was a motherfucker that actually cared and was passionate about my job. Um, And, you know, that's what it is. Like, you know, you got to have passion for whatever you're trying to do in your life. And if you don't know that yet, 100% respectable. You do you. I don't got nothing against you. It's going to take time to figure that out. But if you know relatively what you want to do, even if it's on a general scale of things, like if you're just like, I want to help people. You got to take the right steps to make sure that you find a way that you can help people. I think you just got like, to your point, bro, it's like, I think this is like a big reason, like why you ended up here is like, because when you, we first, like you first started, like when we were young, you didn't really know what steps to take because you had no, like, you, you literally had no experience. You're like, shit, I'm just kind of going by like, like the seat of my pants, you know, like winging it, hoping it works out. But the... I think, like, the, the thing y'all should get, especially, like, if you don't know where you're trying to go in life, like, I've been blessed, Murph has been blessed, like, we know what our calls in life are. Mine is fitness and health and wellness. Murph's is art. Art right? and design. Art and design, like, bringing color and bringing expression to the world. Um, But, it's like, like, if you don't, like, I got a homie Joe, like, and I shout out to Joe, dude, like, he's, he's doing AmeriCorps, like, he doesn't know what he wants to do. But the important thing is, like, he's taking steps to figure that out, you know? And I think, like, if you don't know what you want to do, you just need to take a step a in step. some direction. And it, it, it doesn't matter. You could hate that step, right? 
if you're like be oh, the opposite direction right you could be like you should go you could be like i don't know what i want to do and you could be like well let me try and fucking work retail and if you work retail for six months and you hate it quit your fucking job right Find like you know um at least at this point in my life right um i think things become more complicated when you get older and you have different responsibilities and different priorities but i'm not there yet right i'm 23 you're 23 right like at this point in your life, if you don't know the general direction of how you're trying to fit into this world and serve, you know, like, then it's fine. You take it one step at a time, and you experience, and you explore. And you'll eventually figure it out. You'll find a path that you're happy with enough to, you know, operate on, right? Like, I mean, your mom's working banking for how many years? My mother worked as a nurse for 45, right? So, like, the point is, they found where they fit. They found their point. They found their purpose, right? And it takes time. I was blessed enough to find that at the age of fucking 17, sitting in a senior class, doodling in my sketchbook. But that's not true for everyone. Um, And it might not be a job. Right. It might not be a job. It might be something you do outside of work, right? I think, though, the goal is, and this is true with my art, the goal is you know, to make that your job, right? Like, isn't that what everyone wants? Like, you know, that's kind of my thought process behind it. Something you're passionate about that you can wake up and do every single day. Something that will get you out of bed, right? As someone who deals with numerous mental illnesses, like, getting out of bed can be the hardest thing to do in the morning. But if you find something that can get you out of bed, that's one of the most powerful things in the world. Yeah, and we talked last last week on this interview with my buddy Dylan, he talked about, like, he needs to take 30 steps from his, his back door to his car so he can start his day. You know? And it's like, I think people like really underestimate like the little, the little changes or the little steps. You know, like, dude, if you have like a little victory, it might be getting out of bed that day. But like the important thing is like, you recognize that as a victory, mm-hmm. you know, and then once you can consistently do that, that's when you like elevate. All right, that's not like a requirement. What else? What one step further becomes my victory for the day? You know, is it eating breakfast, eating a meal? Is it doing something towards what you're passionate about? You know? Yeah. Um, and it's. I mean, it's those small steps that are going to get you farther in life. And, like, to give y'all perspective, that's coming from a motherfucker who bought a $500 car, broke down, and went back on foot. And when I tell you, when I tell you I was riding the train for an hour and a half minimum every single day, bro, and walking five miles plus just to get to a graphic artist job that paid me twelve eighty five an hour, just so I could make, because I knew that that job, that step was important. And it served me well in life, right? That's putting in the legwork. That's the small step in victory. I could come home and be like, I'm working as a graphic artist. Mm -hmm. I don't care that I have to wake up at 5 o'clock every single morning to catch the train. I don't care about that. The fact that I'm working as a graphic artist. Yeah. The fact that I'm working as a graphic artist is enough for me. Because it's better than working in a kitchen and being homeless. Alright, that word. Uh, This is something I want to touch on today. And we've just been chit-chatting along and, like, talking about this story for 
We're an hour and 22 minutes and 42 seconds right now. Jesus Christ. But, dude, this has been so much fun. Um, I do want to, this is something I really do want to touch on. What is, because, like, your vision of success is not crazy extravagant. No. So, touch, touch like, on a little bit about that. And, like, so I think this is something I, I express to you is, like, I feel like people in the personal development scene right, which is literally the space that this podcast is about, right, getting better as a person and an individual, an individual, that was a hard word to say, and, you know, like, hopefully you getting better actually causes some people around you to get better, but, like, how can, like, not everybody wants, like, the big extravagant million dollar house or, like, the giant Fortune 500 company that brings in multiple billions of dollars in revenue every year, like, how can, like, what, like, talk about, like, like scaling success, maybe would be, like, a good way yeah. to put it, because uh, you have, like, a really, I think, I don't want to use the word realistic as an example, but, like, people who have, like, for people who have big dreams, like, I think, like, smaller than what most people would assume is your definition of success. Yeah, um... So, just so y'all know, so I can pan it out for everyone that's listening. Um, basically, my idea of success on the simplest form is you give me a house, you give me a reliable vehicle, and you give me a job, I'm straight for 30 years. I don't need anything else. Um, and, you know, to me, that's big dreams, right? Because I live in a place where the minimum house costs $475,000. So that's not cheap. You know what I'm saying? That is 40K down with a 30 year mortgage. So, and that's, you know, living your best life. Um, and so for me, like, the way I look at that, bro, is like, I don't need major success. I don't need to be Andy Warhol and be known all over the world and do world tours. It would be nice. It would be wonderful. It would be great. But all I really need in life is the simplistic piece of, I have a stable house, I have a stable place of transportation, and I have a stable income to pay my bills. That's all I need. How does um, that like definition of, definition of success help you like day to day? For me, it's an attainable goal, right? It's not um and not saying that like you can't dream big and want a million dollar house and not have that be attainable, right? But for me, like, here's the way I look at it. That's a goal I could reach by the age of 45. And then I can dream bigger. But I can't dream bigger until I have what I need. Why? Often a lot of people, especially in America, and this is a personal opinion, um, so I'm not saying it's based on fact or anything else, but a lot of people in America dream of having these extravagant things, right? Um, and these things that are ridiculous, right? But to me, you don't need that to live, bro. Like, you, what you need is shelter, running water, and income, and possibly food. reliable transportation, right? Well, income would pay for food and bills. But the point of the matter is shelter, running water, income to pay for your bills, including food, 
and then reliable transportation, especially in America, depending on where you live in America, right? If you live in New York City and you're listening to this, obviously, you know, you don't need a car, right? You can take the train everywhere. Completely different story. But for the majority of the United States of America, you need a vehicle to get back and forth from where you need to go. That's an attainable goal. That's what I need to feel comfortable. Once I feel comfortable, then I can dream big about own, you know, owning a multi-million dollar business. But I got to get to that first step. And for me, that first step, you know, I could be completely content there, right? And that could be dreaming big, yeah. right? And you don't necessarily need to dream so big because you could attain all of that and still not be content with life. I know if I had those three things, I would be content. Whether that be a million dollar house with 10 cars or whether that be a little fucking shack in the middle of fuck nowhere with a broken down truck. Right. Like, no, that's true. I think, like, the thing I really liked about that is, that I think it would be good for people to hear is, like, that the reason, like, you have that goal is because, like, you can literally, you can envision yourself achieving it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not so, like, it's a big goal, right? Especially, like, where you're living right now. I mean, like, half a million dollars for a house as, like, being the average cost is bonkers. Ridiculous. Like, that's that's a lot of money for anybody. It's fucking ridiculous. You know? And then, you know, like, you add having to be have at least 10% as a down payment. Like, 50K is a lot of money. Right. Hell, $1,000 is a lot of money to me. You know, at least at this point in my life. Like, I, I'm hoping at one point, you know, I view it as, like, 50 or 100 bucks. Like, I do want that extravagant life. But, like, I think, like... The important thing, like, I want to have people hear about yours, like, your definition of success is it's, like, yes, it's big, but you can so see it being attainable, and it's, because I, I think, especially here, like, like, we set goals so big and so lofty that it's almost like the Everest that's too high to climb, so why start? Exactly. Um, and the piece of it is that like, and the piece that I think rings the truest to me is that like, you can, you can have these wonderful, you can have this giant mountain you want to climb, right? Um, but you have no way of knowing how to climb that mountain. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, right? Is that if you start with a base level, right? Basically base camp, maybe you got to climb up to base camp. Maybe base camp is 4,000 feet from where you currently are stationed, right? Okay, get to base camp first and then worry about climbing the rest of that mountain, right? And that's that's the step piece of it, is what small steps do you have to get to get to base camp? Not what small steps do you have to get to get to the top. What small steps do you have to get to be, get to base camp? Just, just to, to get level, started. Just to get started, right? Um, and that's, you know... For all intents and purposes, that's kind of where I'm at in my professional career. I'm at base camp. I've worked my ass off for the last five years to take all those small steps to get to base camp. And at 23, I'm ready to take on the world and start to climb that mountain. I love that, dude. And actually, I think that's like the perfect place to end. So, guys, we kind of we end the episodes with a call to action. And today, that call to action is find your small steps to get to base camp. Right? Do that for me. Look my man's up at Murph dot 
underscore D on Instagram. Do not forget the underscore. Do not forget the freaking underscore, people. That is his small step to make sure you get to base camp to help this man get to his Everest. And, you know, guys, I can tell you, if you're a creative or, like, you have something in marketing, like I mentioned, Murph designed my personal training brand logo. But, like, guys, if you have any goals in life that need any sort of art, like if you have a logo, a business you want to start, you want to, you know, help a friend, connect somebody that you know, right? And they need logo work. They need artwork. Hit the dude up. Like, I will tell you from firsthand experience, it's not because I'm just like his boy and like we've been through like the shitter multiple times, but it's because I, like, I know him and like who Murph Orton really is and like guys he is like one of the most caring people he wants to help you like he wants you to get better and it's like hit him up like he's gonna want he's going to invest in you more than like a big company is def is going to because he he recognizes like those first steps to get to base camp because as you guys just heard for the last hour and a half that's all he's been doing is small consistent steps to base camp with that, guys, take your small steps, freaking get to base camp, and do me the biggest favor, go earn a good day. I didn't mention this at the beginning. If you found anything useful, funny, learning, share the show for us, right? Look my boy up, look me up, Kanadi underscore fit on Instagram. Share the show, right? Like I think today was a really powerful episode for you guys to hear. Just Murph's at his base camp. But he got there himself. His own, literally his own two feet. Hey, best, you can do it best, pair, best pair of transportation I ever had in my life, y'all. <laughs> my two, the two things attached to my legs, best pair of transportation I ever had. And I'll leave you on that note. Go on, earn a good day, y'all. And get to base camp for me.